0: Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I thank you for joining us today, and I hope you are doing well. This is our next episode in our series, The Donation Process from the OPO Lens, in which we explore how the donation process unfolds within the Organ Procurement Organization or the OPO and we are taking you through it step-by-step. If you recall, in the first episode, you heard from Erica Randall of Donation Support Services, and this is really where the donation process begins. So if you didn't listen to that episode, please check it out at lifepassiton.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Organized tissue donation does not happen without collaboration. You know, many people believe it's a function of the hospital, and honestly, that is just not the case. None of this work would be possible. None of this life-saving, life-healing work would be possible without community, without our hospitals, including our donor hospitals and our transplant centers, as well as the OPOs. And also, at times, it involves the coroner, and then finally, the funeral home. But at the very beginning of this process, it really is about the person who designated themselves to be a donor or their family who made the decision for them to be a donor. This is life-saving and life-changing, and truly, it all begins with that individual. I also want to explain more about us, the OPO, and our functionality so that you understand how the gifts of organ, and tissue donation come to be and the intricacies of this life-saving, and life-healing process. And we're going to use this time also for people who maybe are considering a career in healthcare or may already be in the field so that you can learn more about what it is that we do as organ procurement organizations and understand more about our mission and our people-focused work. So with that, we're going to dive right in and I'm going to introduce my guest. Uh, She is a longtime staff member slash family member. I feel like we're all family at Life Center. And her uh, her department follows next in line behind the donation support services in the donation chain. So with that, please welcome Ms. Christiane Wilson. Hi, Christiane. Welcome. I'm so glad you could join us today.
2: Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out and inviting me to take part in this with you.
1: Absolutely. So let's start with how long have you been with Life Center? And then also, what is it that you do that helps to facilitate this gift of organ, eye and tissue donation?
2: Well, I consider myself a bit of a dinosaur in the work procurement world. Uh, this November, it will be 20 years that I've been solely with Life Center. I've been in a few different roles, but since 2005, I've been a donation coordinator, now official title senior donation coordinator. And I would chalk it up to, I am one of the individuals that handles the evaluation medical management, organ placement, and logistics of the operating room for a, an organ donor. That is really what I do. we do a lot of uh, initial referral management from the hospital, taking the referrals, evaluating potential for organ donation and following that process through. So once someone has a deemed potential to help others through donation, a donation coordinator will be on site 24 hours a day uh, through the end of the
1: process. Okay. What kind of training or what in, in your experience, again, you've been in this role since 2005, someone who may be interested in doing this kind of work, what, what kind of background would that, would that require or be needed?
2: So we tend to look for people obviously within the medical field, Uh, bedside critical care nurses are very critical to this role, respiratory therapists, um, I myself have the background of being a paramedic. We do have people within the field that graduated from the organ donation sciences program through University of Toledo. And other people that I firmly believe in, you can teach the right person how to do the job people with critical thinking skills do have at least an an underlying understanding critical care medicine multitaskers and people who excel at communication those are people that do very well in this job
1: okay
2: okay
1: and you also have a personal connection to donation could you share with us what that is
2: I sure can. I'm honored to actually share my story, I feel, about my sister, Adrian, And it is actually in 1992, she was involved in an accident from a seizure that she had. She did have epilepsy and cerebral palsy and suffered a traumatic brain injury. And over the course of four days, the incredible people in the neuroscience ICU at UC tried to save her life. And unfortunately, uh, despite all of their efforts, she did progress to brain death and was declared brain dead. And for those who do not know, when a person is declared brain dead, it is a legal pronouncement of death. It is the time that will go on their death certificate, but they remain on a breathing machine, also known as a ventilator. You can see their heartbeat up on the monitor. You can see their O2 sats, their blood pressure but they have no brain or brain stem function. And so it's very different than coma, different than vegetative state. It is a legal declaration of death by neurological criteria. My sister was pronounced brain dead and my parents were given the opportunity for donation. And my mom uh, had a lot of concerns and did not want anyone to touch her child.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And my sister had been was born special needs, and my mom was a very, very protective mother. And my dad looked at my mom and, and asked her, You know, if Adrian needed surgery to save her life, would you do it? And she said, Of course I would. And he said, Well, Glenn, Adrian can have surgery and has the opportunity to save other people's lives. Right. And my mom said that just made sense to her. And so that night, uh, the process worked much more quickly, then lists were different. How you ran tests and everything was very, very different back in 1992. So six hours later, my sister went to the operating room and a 38 year old man received the gift of her heart Mm. and a 43 year old woman who was a single mom received her liver and two people at the time we were kind of told what general area there was no social media so the two people that did did receive her kidneys were from the Cincinnati area and my sister also went on to be a cornea donor Mm -hmm. and you know it to me I was 15 when it happened and it's just I assume that's what everybody did when someone died I didn't think that anybody would ever say no to that I didn't think that it was rare. My sister was one of only 39 organ donors in Cincinnati in 1992.
1: Oh
0: my and, goodness!
2: Wow. Yeah, it was so it was so rare, and no wonder my parents had never discussed it. And um, it was the right thing for my family. And so, several years later, Life Center put together a a workshop for families to come and learn about the process. And it was called "What Happened After You Said Yes." Mm. And my parents, still very heavily grieving, did not want to participate, but I decided I wanted to go and to learn more about what my sister did. And I was just so intrigued by the process and by the people that I met. And so I became involved as a volunteer and was on the donor family council. At this point, I was in my, you know, early to mid 20s and Evidently, I spoke up at a meeting about the positive effect that this had on us as a donor family. You know, here we were not a recipient or a recipient family, but how this changed our lives in a positive way to know that there was something other than grief when we Mm -hmm. left the hospital. Mm -hmm. And the next day I was called up and said, evidently, what I what I had to say, impressed some people. And I was offered um, a job at well to come interview. At Life Center in public in the public education department, which is now community relations, the department that you
1: had. You were a trailblazer yeah. for, for us, Christian. <laughs> See? Came you know, full was, circle. <laughs> Andy, it was the biggest
2: blessing in my life. I think that I struggled with what I wanted to do with my life. My mm-hmm. sister passing away. The age of 33 rocked my world as a teenager. And I just felt this connection to Life Center. I felt that this, you know, my sister struggled with being, trying to be as strong and smart and capable as everyone else her entire life. And for me, all I could think was in her death, Life Center was able to offer her something that most people can't do. Mm -hmm. And she was able to be this overachiever when she passed. And it just, it was such a special thing for me and such a blessing. So I hopped right on getting a resume together and interviewed. And I worked in public education for three years, sharing my sister's story, sharing how donation can have such a positive effect on those who are donor families. And I just had a calling for something more clinical there at Life Center. So I put myself through paramedic school and got some critical care experience and applied for a job as a donation coordinator. At that time they really were not hiring anyone other than nurses and respiratory therapists. And I think I had an established level of trust with those who were already on the team because I had been a coworker for so many years. And I was offered the opportunity to come on board with the team and it just has been such an honor to work for Life Center for this long and to continue. I don't know. I considered a bit of the change that my sister made in my life to continue that on for others to sometimes I will share a bit of my story just that, you know, I have, that in similar shoes than those who I am helping at the hospital. Um, Because I think that having a level of trust in someone who you are entrusting your loved one to is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I don't go into any significant details. It's not my time to, you know, really monopolize You know that conversation or anything, but I let them know that we're an organization full of people whose lives have been changed by donation as well. Mm -hmm. And it really, it's so powerful when they see that, you know, those of us on the team that whose lives have been changed, and even those who may not have a personal connection to donation, are so incredibly passionate about this mission mission that we support at Life Center. Mm -hmm.
1: And so it's you know it's so interesting as you're speaking, and I'm thinking about your sister and it's it feels almost like this 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 quiet strength that she had, and I did not know her obviously, but it just it feels like that's what she exuded, and that's kind of what kind of it translates to you and just this this work that you do because it does it requires a person to be you know, you have to be strong and you have to also kind of be sensitive to the people or the families that you're interacting with, because this is their worst possible moment, you know, most of the time. And I mean, that, that's a hard, that's a hard line to walk, but you, you know, you've been doing it so long and you do it so well, and just, or I mean, it requires so much working with hospital staff and then, you know, a lot of coordination. And as you said earlier, multitasking, mean, there's so much that goes into it and you just, you do it and you are so consistent in what you do and have been such a great leader in, in our, in our organization for a long time. So I just want to commend you and say, thank you for all that you do. I also want to ask, we, we, we've both been doing this for a little while, obviously in different roles, but there are some days that are harder than others, and I can imagine on the clinical side, which is the side in which you live on, um, there's probably, there are cases that, that can kind of knock the wind out of you. What, what, is it, what is it that you do on those hard days when it's just, I mean, emotionally, physically, it's just, it's taxed you? What, what do you do? So
2: this is one of the things that will make me tear up a little bit about my job. I remind myself before I walk into the hospital, uh, n- number one, I'll, I'll rewind that back to, I get in my car, to the drive to the hospital, and it sounds kind of silly, but I play what is to me like a walk-up song. I try to pump myself up for the positivity of the day, and during that time, I remind myself that no matter what I am walking into, it is not harder than the family that is coping with this happening to them. Right. And if I can get through it happening to my family, then my job is also to support with strength, knowledge, and experience by offering them the highest level of care from Life Center. And that's what I want to do when I walk into the hospital. This job in the 17 years since I've been in this role, I have had moments in which I cannot unhear the cries of parents when their children have, when it's determined that their child is not going to survive, or they find out that their father has passed. Hearing people grieve is very difficult. There are things that I cannot unsee, you know, particular situations with donors that are, that are difficult to lay your eyes on People don't realize sometimes that we, as coordinators, are walking into those hospital rooms and we are, you know, discussing a, a plan of medical management with a nurse. Sometimes that is bedside. We do form a general assessment of the patient to ensure that there are not any signs or symptoms going on with the body that... Could in particular lead to the lack of potential for donation. So we are intimately involved with these families in the room and with you know these donors in the rooms. And it it is difficult. There are sometimes you know certain stories. You you and I have discussed a couple stories that are cases that changed me forever. Right. Right. And when I really take a moment to think about those, I think what a blessing it was to have been part of what may have been good for the family that day. It is not easy. We all deal with that. The The average turnover rate of a person in this job, in this role, is about two years. And a lot of it is because of the... Um, Emotional taxation that this job has on you. Every patient or donor that we have is dead or dying. You know, because there is a type of donation in which the patient is not going to survive and the family has made the decision to stop treatment, but there still is an opportunity for donation. And that's called donation after circulatory death. And so we are walking a family through that process and still coordinating with the hospital medical management of those patients as well. And then we are there for um, the withdrawal of life-sustaining treatment that is performed by the hospital and are there with the families during that process as as our family services coordinators with the families. And so there is a, there is a lot emotionally to kind of unpack on your way home. Sometimes on these cases, sometimes I'm so tired on my drive home that it's when I wake up and I think about what we as a team were able to accomplish for this family, you know, over the last 24 hours or sometimes how hard we tried, but then we were not able to, you know, potentially place any gifts for transplant. That is tough. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot emotionally in this job, but Andy, I will tell you, other than being a parent, there is no other thing I will do in my life more rewarding than this job. And who knows what? I mean, I would like to stay at Life Center and continue, you know, to to do what I think I'm very good at and very blessed to do. But who knows what job I may have five years from now? And I'm telling you, it will never have the impact on my life like this job has Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's very powerful and I just I appreciate you just you know being so authentic and open and honest because it isn't we all know this is this is no this is no walk in the park this is I mean it, it 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 hits you in your soul you know and that's why I feel like people like you and the other folks that work here like a special group of people who really are here for the right reasons and are dedicated to our families and truly, truly helping to just give life and restore healing to other people. So it really is um, special work. And that's why I thought it was important. You know, I think coming out of this kind of out of this, I want to say, I hope we're post COVID, I mean, it's. Kind of a weird time, but you know people did a lot of reflecting during that time, and people have made career shifts, and people want to do work that is more meaningful and and for me, and I, I I think I can speak for you, I don't know that there's anything more meaningful that we could be doing right now, and that's why like this is really important for us just to highlight and and use this as an opportunity to. Recruit um, other individuals who feel moved by by this kind of work because, you know, it isn't for the faint of heart. Um, the other the other question I was going to ask you is to talk about what is what does a typical workday look like for a donation coordinator? That there is no typical workday. <laughs>
2: There is no typical (laughs) workday. That is kind of the joke. It's like, if you've seen one donor, you've seen one donor. And if you've seen one OPO, you've seen an OPO. And it's, you know, so a typical workday, let's say that there is case activity that day, I'm going to give you my general workday with a case involved. So that would be an authorized donor. I would receive a 6.30 wake up call from whoever was on site the night before and is still there on site, that would give me time to get up, get showered, you know, start getting everything situated because at 7 a.m. we will have a report off call in which the first call coordinator, there's three donation coordinators on in a 24-hour period for second and third call. So the first call coordinator uh, will lead the report off call. You'll know how many patients In the ICUs around the city that we are following, basically that they meet criteria for us to be referred. It doesn't necessarily mean they are going to become a case or that anything is imminent with them, but they meet a standard criteria for us to continue to get updates on them until either they get better and we take them off of being followed or they potentially do become uh, a case. So we'll gather reports on that at 7 a.m., understand what's going on with everyone that we are following. We also discuss what are called imports, and that would be, you know, another OPO has a donor, and let's say lungs are coming in for a patient at Children's Hospital. We're going to discuss the specifics of that logistically. Because we do help to facilitate that process for some of our transplant centers here in Cincinnati. Uh, So, once report off is complete, then I would go ahead and just finish up getting ready, head on into the hospital, as you know, play my walk up song, Uh, make sure that I'm in the right frame of mind or as best as I can be by the time that I walk in that hospital. You know, we have lives too, and some of us, you know, endure some you know, things in our personal lives and other things that are going on. And you really have to make a conscious effort to leave that in your car when you start to go into the hospital. Some days I'm really good at that. Some days not so great. And, you know, we're all humans doing this job as well. Mm -hmm. So when I get into the hospital by 8 a.m., I am getting a full report on the donor from the first call coordinator that was on the day before and overnight. Getting all of the information as to what brought this particular patient in. Um, is this a brain dead donor or is this donation after circulatory death? What are the uh, logistics or time frame associated with that? What organ gifts are we pursuing for transplants and where are we in the evaluation process for that? And then what is the plan for the day? or where are we in organ placement or what we call allocation and setting up for the OR. So I kind of get an idea of like, where my whole day is. Cause I could walk into the hospital at 8.00 AM and my OR is at 9.00 AM. Mm-hmm. So that's a little different than I walk into a case and the patient was declared brain dead the night before. And we are pursuing all organ gifts for transplant. And people would think, Oh, well, don't you pursue all of the gifts all the time? For a donor that might have COPD, uh, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you wouldn't be pursuing the lungs in that situation, or they may have cirrhosis, you know, due to hepatitis C, which is not a rule out for organ donation. So we wouldn't be pursuing the liver in that case, or they may have had a massive heart attack. And that is what led to them being in the hospital. We would not be pursuing the heart in that instance as well. So we do evaluate based upon each donor's potential. And our job is to maximize that potential. And we have also the most incredible assistant medical director that we work with, Dr. Jordan Bonomo, uh, who just really supports us through maximizing each donor's opportunity to help as many people as possible. Um, his involvement has become just such an important part of our process. So we get an idea from where the, for where the day is going, but let's say I'm medically managing that, that patient throughout the day. I do not have an OR set. You know, I am looking at each organ system and what we need to do. At the same time, we are also potentially taking new referrals that are coming in from other hospitals on patients that are meeting criteria to be called into us. We are also making plans for any of those that may look like an imminent type of situation, whether that be a family is deciding to terminate life-sustaining treatment for their loved one, or the patient may be looking like they are going to progress to brain death. We are also ga- gathering updated information on patients that we were already following. And it's it's a lot of communication. I joke that I'm the world's best over communicator. <laughs> I am absolutely a close, close the communication loop kind of person. You know, if I say 6 p.m. and you say that's great, my text back is say, OK, so just Confirming we're on for 6 p.m. And I'm sure it's completely annoying to people, but I have found it has aided me a lot in this job to not be, for lack of better terms, like caught with my pants down. I, mm-hmm. I do not want an, an unpredictable set of circumstances if, if I had potential control over
1: it. And clear so, communication is key in, in, in avoiding It absolutely
2: is. You got it. So that will go on until six thirty 30 the next morning, when I call my replacement, your average case is going to last about 72 hours. We are, you know, uh, wow. 48 to 72 hours. So two okay. to three days. And that is truly so that we do the right thing by that donor. And that is to help them help as many people as possible. And it sounds so simple, but you know, when my, my boy, he is 12 now, AJ. He's he's named after my sister, Adrian. It goes by AJ. And, you know, he he grew up with me doing this job. And when he was little, I had to figure out how do I tell him, you know, when he's two or three, what mom does for a living. If I was a police officer, he'd know I was a police officer and I felt it was important. I've always strived to have Very open, transparent communication with AJ. And so I would tell him that I'm helping people help other people. Mm -hmm. When someone has died, I help give gifts from them to other people because they don't need them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perfectly acceptable thing to tell adults as well. It's truly what we get to do here. And that is to help people help other people when they pass. And it, it is what, what a special, unique opportunity we have to be part of that. You know, it's, right. it really is truly incredible what we get to do. So to get back to kind of how the day looks, if let's say that um, we are in the process of organ placement on this case where we are running lists. Mm-hmm. And we are starting to make offers. There is constant communication uh, back and forth between transplant centers and us. Life Center is not associated with any particular transplant center. We are going to allocate organs according to the list and, you know, the, the rules set in place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that may mean that nothing happens to stay here in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. so we are in constant communication answering questions getting everybody on the same page just we get closer to having each of our organ gifts placed um and we start to then work on logistics so if we have you know heart liver and both kidneys placed for instance then we need to make sure all those teams can be here in our or at the same time right and at the same time we need to make sure that The hospital has an OR available to us. And then is that something that also works for the family? You know, we do get special requests sometimes of, you know, let's say donor's name is Joey. Joey's daughter's birthday is tomorrow. We do not want to go to the OR tomorrow. We would like to go the day after. We are always very honest with families about the fact that that may affect their potential stability and there would be instances in which we would have to go tomorrow if it meant preserving Mm -hmm. the opportunity of donation uh, for Joey or whomever it may be. But usually, I mean, we will bend over backwards to meet a family's, um, you know, request or whatever may be very special to them. If we can, when you start to put donation at risk, that's when we have to have a very open discussion with the family about risk-benefit ratio and why that might not be the right thing in attempting to honor their wishes. So um, that that time frame may need to be adjusted. So it's a lot of communication. I mean, I've looked at my phone before after a case, and I mean, it's you know, 200 phone calls, and that doesn't count all of the texting that now occurs during a case plant centers which is so great because i have pr- i right there i have on my phone exactly what has been discussed so mm-hmm. it's an easy reference point for time mm-hmm. and organ specific information that has been very nice that we had pagers and flip phones when i started in this job. <laughs> so,
1: you know, now you're really dating is,
2: yourself Oh <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even have a computer I did not even have a computer when I started in this job. So, you know, things have really changed. And so uh, there's another coordinator, Sam, who's been here um, a long time as well. And we just joke that we're old dogs and new tricks. It's just, <laughs> it, it sometimes can be tough for us with the technology. So, so that, you know, that's a general example of what a day may kind of look like. But that, you know, obviously that's always, adjusting based upon the potential donor or you know whatever else may be going on.
1: You know something I've observed about your team me as our one of the one of the largest teams here at Life Center is just you all have each other's backs. You all look out for each other, you work really well together. It's almost like you guys have your own language going on. I mean, it's just the way you guys collaborate and communicate. And so I, I just that came to mind, you know, people listening. If, you know, if, if, if what you're saying sounds appealing, the, the kind of the icing on the cake is just the, the strong, committed and supportive team that you would be a part of, because it really is. This work, this work would would not happen the way that it does, because there are so many things that have to um, unfold in this process and the time constraints. And I mean, just, there's so many moving parts and you, and you all do it just, you all are the utmost of professionals and you do, it you know, with the utmost respect and dignity of, with the donors in mind and, and, and the donor families. And that's so important.
2: That is a beautiful way, Andy, of telling us that we are some type A, overly passionate people.
1: <laughs> it, I mean, it
2: is so true. I mean I think to do well in this job, you do, you have to be very type A. I I think the only times I've really um gotten some feedback is perhaps I'm a little too passionate about. Preserving the option for do- donation for a potential donor, you know when I'm speaking to a physician or a nurse at the hospital, but the way I see it is they may see that this is the 20th time this year I've walked on third unit and I have been talking about the positives of donation uh, and why preserving that opportunity for the family is important and they deserve that right. but nice. to me, I'm walking into that hospital the only time for that particular family and donor. And so it's like, I don't just see it as if, you know, 300th time in, you know, 17 years that I've walked into a hospital or that any of us have walked into a hospital. We are there with truly just that potential donor's preservation of options at the top of our list. And we are incredibly passionate. Uh, sometimes when situations don't, go in our favor I was administrator on call the other day and you know one of our coordinators she just had it, things did not go the way that we you know had planned there was nothing that we did wrong or anything like that but it just didn't go the way that you would want it to go if it all went right mm-hmm. and an hour later this coordinator's texted me you know I just have a pit in my stomach that we weren't able to offer this to this family and we have the most incredible group of people, but yeah, we're type A. You've got to be super organized. Some of us are a little more laid back type A than others. I'm not one of those, <laughs> um, which is no surprise to you or anyone else I work with. But it's it, you do have such an incredible group of people, and so I think we're all a little feisty in our own ways. And you know, we get the job done. We, I've said it. So many times here at Life Center that like, oh, my gosh, I work with such a great team right now. Like, this is such a great team. But I'm telling you, we have had so many groups of great teams as coordinators and family services and organ recovery specialists. It's, we are so very fortunate to always seem to have these great people fulfilling these roles for our community
1: absolutely absolutely and I have one other really important question what did you say your walk-up song
2: was (laughs) I don't know if you want no like none of them would be appropriate to okay I'll I'll Um, share mine if you share yours okay okay, none I'll say it first I'll go and then you can tell me since you asked first uh none of your business by salt and (laughs) Pepper.
1: none of your business write uh, right. that song gosh that's a that's <laughs> a good one uh so mine is one of mine is uh hungry like a wolf by Duran Duran <laughs> that's what I, I that's feel what I like in. we
2: kind of flip-flopped where these songs should be I pretty feel like much. you are way cooler pretty you much have, you know none of your business and I would seem much more the type to have Duran to write. <laughs> but I love it. That's hilarious, but that's why they're your walk-up songs. Like it brings out something in you yep. that it just makes you feel a different way. But I mean, I've had, I've had several that I play on the way to the hospital. I have kind of a, a list of like five or six and I pick out what I'm feeling that day. That's the most appropriate to share with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my salt and pepper. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was fun! So, is, as we're getting ready right to close, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners?
2: Wow, I think one of the things that I would want to leave people with is that when it comes to the potential of being a donor and whether or not you're thinking, should I register, should I not? The positive that it can have for your family after you are gone. I cannot talk good things about that enough. The amount of pride that we have knowing that Adrian saved four people's lives and gave somebody the gift of sight. To be able to say that was just such such a gift to me when you're 15 and you're and your family is going in and you know my sister Adrienne was the oldest of five girls and I was the youngest and everybody was kind of going in their own directions the first grandchild was on the way and all these other things and donation seemed to be this thing that got me through and it just to me is such a blessing that it has the opportunity to do that for other families you can rise above your grief on the worst day of your life and make something good come from that. Yes. I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. I truly don't. Yeah. I think that is incredible. Isn't that what we would want to do?
1: Right. And aren't we all here for the purpose of, you know, making making this, this world a little bit better what i I can't think of any other way to do that than leaving that kind of legacy you know so so christine i, I want to thank you so much for chatting with me today it was a great conversation and uh-huh. as we thank yeah. you
2: so much <laughs> for having you. me andy i, thank I you. really do appreciate it this has been really nice
1: honestly it has it has Um, So, as we close today's show, I just want to remind you that there are 106,026 men, women, and children in need of life saving organ transplants in our country. What can you do to help? Well, if you're not registered, please seek out the information and the information that is true and research what a donor needs. Speak with a medical professional. Uh, someone who has gone through the experience uh, as either a donor family or a recipient or a living donor, because that's really, truly how we learn. It's through the sharing and exchange of information that is based on facts and not fiction. You can also register to be an organized tissue donor and learn about being a living kidney donor. Because the vast majority of people who are waiting for transplants are people in need of kidney transplants. There's almost 91,000 people in need of kidney transplants. And lastly, I want to dedicate this episode to Christiane's sister, Adrienne King, uh, for the life-saving gifts that she gave in 1992 uh, that really set you on this path, I think, Christiane and, and just all of the, the commitment and you truly just leave it all out there every day. And I thank you for everything that you do. So in honor of your sister would we'll dedicate this, this episode to her. I want to thank everyone for listening. And I just want to remind you to please be kind to yourself and to others. Thanks so much. Take care.
0: This episode is brought to you by Life Setter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life, pass it On for more information. Thanks to LifeSetter for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.